Welcome to the Silicon Sass. What are you fucking laughing about? God, actual damn it. Welcome to the Silicon Sasquatch podcast. We are doing our first night of PAX recap. I am uh, joined by Nick Cummings. Hey. And Aaron Thayer. Buenas noches. What's your name? <laughs> I'm Spencer Tordoff, of course. Hi, hey, Spencer. Uh, <laughs> God damn it. Uh, so, we've just been going over our notes from the first day of the show, Friday, and uh, talking about what we've seen. So, Nick, you have the most complete outline, I think. Uh, let's, uh, let's start off. Like, what are your initial impressions? This is, I say this every year, but PAX is getting so big, I don't know what to do anymore. Like... The crowds have been kind of psychotic. Like, not in an unhinged, like, they're going to gouge out your eyes and eat them in front of you, which you wouldn't be able to see kind of way. But, like, it just... Things are dense. Things are moving. There's a lot of people standing around. That being said, I feel like the spirit of PAX is still alive and well. And, like, I've, I've gone to many, many PAXs in my life. I think this is my ninth so far. And I, uh, it's really heartening to see... A good turnout from all kinds of different kinds of games. Uh, Cards Against Humanity has an inexplicable black box of a showcase area, which is kind of great. Um, I got to play Dive Kick on a PS4. That's kind of a defining moment for me. <laughs> it's been great so far. I'm uh, I'm optimistic. I don't know if I'll make it through all three days without like dying or losing a limb, but I'm prepared to take on the challenge. I, I like how you went like just immediately to Dead Rising illusions there, like. It, Crowds eating your eyes. What? What the? Hell? And then you, you're talking about losing a limb. Are you going to tear it off and beat a nerd with the wet end? Or? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's that's the that's how you do it. <laughs> All right. Great. I don't have a choice in the matter. <laughs> uh, Aaron, this is your first ever PAX. What are your initial impressions? Um, from what I've seen today. Uh, PAX is also the unofficial sarcastic and geek t-shirt convention. Um, <laughs> just black t-shirts in general. Yeah, black t-shirts, usually faded. Um, so, no, I've, I've enjoyed myself. It wasn't as overwhelming as I thought it would be. Uh, it's been kind of cool to be involved in the industry in this way and just see it kind of, even though it's a uh, marketing and PR show, you know, um, you're not really in the nitty-gritty, but... Uh, some of the panels we've been to, which we'll talk about, um, the things I've seen, like, uh, um, uh, well, if I have to be specific, uh, man cosplaying as Misty from Pokemon, which is pretty cool. Solid costume. Yes. Uh, and a woman's breast that popped out on the sidewalk that uh, Nick's uh, girlfriend, Nay, had uh, pointed out. So, you know, it. I feel like I've seen a lot in packs already today, <laughs> um, and it's been a good day. So... Uh, I didn't see as many games as I had wanted to, but I think that's what we're going to do tomorrow. How about you, Spencer? Fantastic. Well, for me, uh, oh, I, I have been fighting my usual urge, which is whenever PAX rolls around, to just decoalesce and become no good to anybody. Like, in previous years, I just disappear, and none of my friends see me. None of my other groups of friends see me. I don't even know what I'm doing for the duration, so... I'm really just trying to fight that tendency. And so far, I've managed pretty well. Like, you guys went to a panel, and then because of miscommunication, I 
guess I went to lunch or something, and then laid down in uh, in the annex for a while near the magic cards. So, were they calling to you? Uh, yeah, but it was like, oh well, I don't want to sign up for a tournament or anything. I'll just be here near them. Well, they they kind of um, enabled it by in the swag bag that we got, giving away free magic cards. So they're really enabling the magic use. Yeah, free playable decks of magic cards. Right. It's like your first pack of cigarettes. Well, I mean, they they have done this historically, but. Does anyone want to play Magic Card? <laughs> no, no, we're we're in the middle of a podcast. What am I talking about? Uh, so, what uh, panels have we hit today? So we hit uh, between the the group of us. I think we hit about three panels. Uh, one was on the importance of storytelling in games. Uh, one was on the the original pitch for The Last of Us, which uh, Aaron and I went to along with um, a few of my friends, and uh, we capped off the day with a. Uh, panel on Infamous Second Son, which had um, the lead animator and most of the uh, acting talent there. So Troy Baker was there, who, like every other game, plays the lead character in this game as well, uh, along with a few of the other co-stars. Uh, so let's, uh, let's start with The Last of Us. I know Aaron took a lot of notes, was really interested in going to this. So um, Aaron, what did you think of that panel? Um, it was interesting because they set it up as uh, the actual pitch. So not just telling us about, hey, here's the uh, PowerPoint we did for Sony. It was walking us through as if we were the executives of Sony, like Jack Tritton sitting there uh, listening to the original pitch. And it was uh, called Project T1. Um, so you see that language throughout. But what was amazing to me is seeing how kind of feature complete the game was even in that stage. Um, now, kind of talking about this will essentially spoil some aspects of the, the game. So those of you who haven't played it, be aware. But um, let me just mute my headphones here. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, Spencer hasn't played it. So really? Uh, no. No, not yet. I was uh, I was gonna play Nick's copy, and he's brought it. So let's try to skirt around like the actual plot details. We can maybe. <laughs> I can I, like if I if I have a beat on the levels, I can actually just unplug my headphones and not hear most of it. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, all, what's funny good. about mentioning spoilers is something uh, Nick might pick up on, but the first panel, Story and Games, was talking about how. Um, you know, the potential of discussing games with each other and spoilers kind of detracts from that discussion. But aside from that, um, with The Last of Us, what was interesting is seeing how the characters had different motivations. Uh, just specifically Tess, who you meet in the beginning of the game, and who's kind of a romantic interest for Joel, you, um, she actually becomes somebody who has a vendetta against Joel. In this alternate version of the game, Joel, in the process of protecting Ellie, who is found out to have this cordyceps fungus but is immune, is attacked by the military, and then he kills Tess's brother. There's no mention of his actual brother that's in the, the final game, the release game, so that part doesn't seem to exist. But it sounded like a lot different of a, a, of a game as far as its motivation, so really you're going through the same thing as you would in the regular Last of Us game where you're protecting Ellie, but you also have this vendetta of your ex-lover whose brother you killed following you across the, the nation uh, that is decimated from this plague. And you seemingly, they seem to talk about revisiting her as you would play as her too, maybe. So they changed the game from this uh, driving narrative of vendetta to just protection. And they, they mentioned a lot of references from The Road, uh, Road to Perdition, 
uh, Leon the Professional, um, in addition to the zombie influences, and that is really visible in the game, but it was just actually pretty impressive to me to see, and I'm sure Nick can chime in too, but how exact the game was, even at that initial stage. It really did not change. The characters looked the same. A lot of the set pieces looked the same, so that means they had a really strong concept going in. Yeah, what I found most interesting about that whole presentation was, as someone who played and really honestly enjoyed the game a lot, uh, there are certain moments in that game that they it's very clear that from the initial conception of the project, they knew they wanted to have that in the game. And the way they get to them is different, very much so uh, in a lot of ways from the original concept. And that was kind of cool to me, just like to to see how those really standout moments that really define the characters and pivot the story, change how you think about the people in it. Those were there from the beginning, um, and really even like the, the major story arc of going through the seasons and the time passing, that was all there. But um, some really interesting dynamics and in how characters were manipulated and portrayed differently or, and or you know, didn't even come to the story at all um, was really fascinating to me, just from like a, a game design perspective. Great. I was uh, not present at that panel because, as uh, mentioned, I had briefly phased out of reality. So, uh, what else had we hit? So, it was Last of Us. Um, there was story. Yeah. Storytelling in games. Um, so, this, was, uh, this is the first panel we went to, so I was still kind of like waking up. But um, it, was a, it was a great, interesting group of people. Uh, I didn't expect this, but Patrick Rothfuss, who wrote uh, The Name of the Wind and uh, The Wise Man's Fear, I think is the sequel. I read the first book. It's, 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 uh, it's fantasy. It's, uh, it's fun. Um, he was there. I guess he's working on a game now. They also had people from BioWare. Uh, the, the Mike Laidlaw? Yeah. Uh, do you know who he is? Yeah, so he is pretty much one of the big head honchos in the Dragon Age series. So... Um, I believe director at least, but <clears throat> yeah, he's a big presence and on the Dragon Age team, so not Mass Effect or anything like that. Yeah, and I'm a big Dragon Age fan. I've talked about this in the past on the site, so I don't need to bring that up here, but cool to see him there. I really like what he did with the story in that series. Um, and we had people from... Oh, man. Uh, there is Richard Dansky, who is kind of the... the uh, um, I guess you would say caretaker for Red Storm in the, the Ubisoft kind of Tom Clancy series. Uh, we had Greg Tito was hosting that from uh, Escapist, I believe. Um, and Kevin Bruner, Rob Ferrigno, and like Nick mentioned, Pat Rothba. So uh, everybody from Telltale to BioWare to um, the, the inclusion of a big action game developer like Ubisoft and Red Storm was interesting, but you know, they have a narrative, so it was valid for them to be there. Yeah, absolutely. It was um, if you think about like the forefront of storytelling in games right now, and people who are doing it in um, big scale, small scale. You know, Walking Dead to like AAA games like Splinter Cell. Uh, it was a really good uh, mixture of people. It really ran the gamut. Um, what I found most interesting about the panel was that it really seemed to be that unanimously what stood up most to people in games. And this, like, as an exercise to start off the panel, they talked about their like one favorite defining moment in the last 10 years of games, and there are examples given of like, uh, Patrick Rothfuss, for example, was like, his, his favorite moment in the game, in storytelling-wise, was in Portal 2, where, um, spoilers if you haven't finished the game, but uh, 
to finish it, uh, you have to do something pretty outlandish uh, and unexpected, which, you know, in, in true to the series puzzle solving uh, style was how they constructed it. He loved that moment because it wasn't overtly stated, but when you do it, it makes total sense, and it's kind of like this hugely rewarding moment for the player. Um, there were mentions of uh, just this one little set piece detail on Alan Wake with this like rock band stage that was abandoned and kind of had a story to tell about the environment that game takes place in. Uh, there was mention of a text game where um, there was a, a scene of intense drama that like played out despite the fact that it was driven by text, uh, really succeeded at sucking the player in and really uh, creating a compelling tense scenario. All these little things and like um, my favorite example was one I actually understood, which was like um, the small vignettes in Rock Band in the loading screens and the cutscenes during their career, where like little things play out and little bits of drama happen in your band. And like, um, so the overall theme for me was that it's not the overall arc that you construct, and this kind of ties back to the Last of Us thing as well. But it's the little moments that define the characters, the things that you do within the scenarios that you construct to make the game happen, that really seem to create those memorable instances, those games that really stand out 10 years, 20 years down the road. And it's about how you use those opportunities to really let the characters speak and interact in this world you create. Less so than like, we're going to write this rigid arc and everybody's going to have these specific roles to play and this is exactly how it's going to play out. So. Yeah, the, <clears throat> a lot of their argument was, and I, I guess the questions were phrased as, the whole panel was the story matter in video games, so you know that's kind of a, a loaded question to begin with. But um, the, some of the conclusion that I found is that there has to be a, a balance between cutscenes and using them as giving comfort uh, to those players who are just dropped into a narrative. And some of the developers didn't really appreciate that. Uh, some would want to just kind of let players figure out the story themselves, but. Um, they kind of touched on the whole panel, the need for the commercial aspect of here's a cutscene to set up the story. In my opinion, and not something that they necessarily explored in the panel, is that you know that's kind of weak storytelling, right? Where if you rely on the cutscenes, which they gave a lot of arguments of where they try not to do that. Uh, for instance, Telltale doesn't allow you to skip cutscenes in the the Walking Dead episodes, which is important because it's a story-driven game, but. Uh, if you could skip those cutscenes, then you would have a player who doesn't know what's going on. But at the same time, the cutscenes, in their argument, and what I agree with, they shouldn't... A big word that was used today in all the panels, player agency, which we've kind of talked about before, they shouldn't take away from that. It should still allow you to have uh, an introduction of a character that you couldn't do through gameplay, but the gameplay should also be the propulsion of the whole crux of the game, the whole argument, what what you're doing should matter. It shouldn't just be all told through a cutscene like they talked about, some favorite examples of the Final Fantasy games that we all played. You know, in the 90s and 2000s, that was the reward that we would get. We would have these uh, non-rendered characters, I believe it was Mike Laidlaw who was talking about this, um, these really badly rendered characters due to the technical nature, but they had these amazing, beautiful, talked about cutscenes like Blizzard has now, and that was your reward for playing. But that's an archaic method, right? Because we've kind of moved past that, so we need to include the players more. They said that, and I totally agree with that. Yeah, um, Mike Laidlaw actually had several of my favorite quotes from this whole thing. Um, he was, uh, he said this thing that really stood out to me, which is, um, 
that the medium is at its best when players have control. Uh, obviously, that was a guiding principle in almost in every game you've played in the last 15 or 20 years when it comes to like constructing a good narrative. Some went all the way into that realm with like Half-Life, for example, where you never leave first-person autonomous control of the how you see the scenario play out. And then some games have cutscenes. You know, there's some there's all kinds of degrees of variation there. Um, but uh, Layla's quote about cutscenes, uh, I tend to agree with. I, I have conflicted feelings about, you know, taking player control away in those moments. But uh, cutscenes are at their best when they show you something that the gameplay can't. Was something he said, and that really stood out to me because um, cutscenes have kind of come from like this thing, like Aaron was saying, like this reward for a game through the process of like playing a game that can't fully in real time realize the image they're trying to go for, um, and when. Uh, Sorry, this music is very distracting. <laughs> it is a bit, yeah, but yeah. it's what we get for recording in a bar. Yeah, the vermilion. Don't Hope. worry about my placement. Okay, hopefully this isn't killing the volume or the oh, no, recording. It's, it's fine. Just keep going. All right. Uh, yeah, I mean, I remember playing Final Fantasy VII and being like, "Wow, these characters are blocky as hell. Why didn't they stick with the 16-bit style?" And then the cutscenes would come in, and they'd be like, "Oh, because this system can do amazing things with pre-rendered graphics." And since then, we've kind of reached a point where most games, uh, at least Western games, tend to err side of, uh, kind of like avoid um, pre-rendered cutscenes. Uh, look at like a Splinter Cell game or uh, Bioshock or anything like that, and almost everything plays out in real time. And often, with the player solving control of the camera or the character, uh, I think it's interesting because like we don't need cutscenes anymore to show the best, the most amazing set piece things. Like Naughty Dog has shown that you can do that in real time with Uncharted, and it's much more fun than watching a cutscene of, like, for example, a building collapsing and Drake trying to like save his life. It's much more fun to play that out. But if you can do something by really capturing a moment, if it fits the game, I think cutscenes probably still have a place. So I want to ask both of you guys. Uh, one of the topics that they brought up was talking about how. Um... No, it's really good base. Um, Talking about how games like Minecraft, for example, which uh, there was a quote that, of course, elicited a bunch of boos and uh, fist shaking. And uh, Minecraft is a toy, not a game, which, you know, part of me agrees, but I'm not the most vocal Minecraft fan. All of you guys know that. So um, the idea, and this is something that I've always been really into, is making your own narrative in a game, right? So the sandbox games. I enjoy them because I, I can pretend, like in Just Cause 2, why am I flying a jet and you know grappling on top of it and surfing it? What, like, why am I doing that? Why am I going to this island? I'm just making up the narrative in my mind as I go because that's fun for me. It allows that kind of childish imagination instead of just always being rigidly told, okay, here's your plot, here's your goal, just do that, and there's some optional objectives to then learn some more. Sometimes that gets tiring, right? So. Um, they brought that up during this panel in talking about um, player contribution, uh, self-created stories. So their, their uh, discussion about Minecraft was it's all player agency, it's really a toolkit for how you will make your own narratives. Um, how do you guys feel about that in games? Do you think that that's a valid thing or is that just kind of a, a lazy narrative? Well. And, and this is my, uh, my standpoint on it. I, I believe there are two very distinctive styles of games in that you have your narrative games. 
um, where there's some type of story to accomplish. You know, there's, and those can be player driven or they can have like a rigid story arc going on. There's a lot of flexibility there. Uh, and then there's games where you can just play emergently and just let the um, the story kind of uh, come out. Like, I never much cared for the actual story of GTA 4, but I got a lot more moments out of just playing it. And um, that brings me to my second point, and, you know, I'll kind of take even the opposite approach to what they said, is that I believe that play is far more pure in an emergent style of game. Because you're literally just playing. You're just doing something for your own enjoyment rather than, oh, I'm consuming, you know, this, this story. And, you know, whether or not you have a, a role, an active role in that story, it's still somebody else's narrative. Uh, whereas with, a, with an emergent game, you're just doing things because you want to do them. I really like that point you made. Because uh, I've been thinking more of games in that sort of like agency and narrative thing on a spectrum. Uh, kind of between like Minecraft where there's no defined story, there is an end game but it's kind of meaningless because you just keep playing afterward. And then you have things like The Walking Dead where there's a very strict story they're telling and you have some, the, the player agency comes in the form of like what kind of way do you want the story to play out? It's gonna have a very fixed beginning and end but what happens along the way and how you get there can be a little bit varied depending on the choices you make and that's designed to reward the player for investing thought in what they're doing. Um, I think where games run into a lot of trouble and where things get a little bit like in the territory of cognitive dissonance is when you start playing games that give you arbitrary choices like, uh, for example, Bioshock, deciding whether or not to harvest or save the little sisters. Kind of a transparent choice and doesn't really affect the outcome of the game that heavily. Um, so like there have been some pretty famous stumbling points there and I think it's kind of hard to figure out what, where the best thing, where the best option exists. Uh, you know, or for example, Uncharted. Uh, disregarding the whole thing about Nathan Drake being this affable, lovable guy in his 30s is also like, uh, you know, a killing machine who is ruthlessly murdering people left and right, snapping their necks and blowing their heads off. Uh, it's also a game where there's no player agency allowed in terms of how you finish the game. You can pick up, you know, collectibles off the beaten path, but every story beat is going to be there. And um, if you're going to tell a very strict story like that, there has to be a good reason for it. And I think like, you know, Night Dog's done a good job of that in the past, especially with The Last of Us. But um, introducing agency and like multiple endings has to have a good reason, and I think that like there's some differing opinions on that at this point. All right. Well, let's keep it rolling right along so we can uh, wrap this in a reasonable time frame. Uh, Infamous Second Son. We all saw the panel for that. Honestly, I mean, I'm not really the target market for a PS4, but if I get one, I'll definitely look into it. I mean, they um, they covered a, a number of aspects of just, well, you know, here's how the game's going to play out. It's in a stylized Seattle. I'm kind of in favor of that because that's where I live. Uh, and then, you know, it's just a little bit of technical talking about the process of creating the characters and uh, some of the actual technology they use to capture the characters. So uh, what are your guys' thoughts on that? Um. I guess I'll maybe take a little bit of a critical stance of the panel. It seemed like it was more of a um, discussion of the trailer <laughs> that they did. And, you know, the game's not out yet, so they can't divulge a bunch of information. They shared some mocap behind the scenes, which is pretty cool to see Troy Baker and the other actors involved. Um, but, you know, it was hosted by uh, Greg um, Miller from IGN which, you know, the caricatures and dick jokes and things like that. So that's kind of par for the course. But 
uh, it was okay. It just it didn't really seem to serve for me much purpose because the game I've already seen it. It looks really cool, uh, but it was just it, it was like a fan service panel, you know. It was hey, if you're interested in this game, you should go because you'll see the people involved in making it, uh, and they'll make jokes and they'll make you laugh, which it was funny. It was it was a good lighthearted panel after kind of going to some more uh, cerebral topics throughout the day, but. Um, it didn't necessarily make me want to buy the game more, but like you're saying, if I have a PS4, I'm sure I'll get it anyway. It just, it was kind of a, hey, here are celebrities, here are developers, they're going to say some funny stuff, and Greg Miller is going to make some in-jokes and references that you should know if you watch or listen or read IGN. Which, why would we? But, <laughs> uh, Nick? I don't have much to add to that. I agree with Aaron's perspective. It was very much like a fluffy kind of panel where it's like, hey, this awesome game we made is coming out. We really want you to think it's awesome too. A uh, lot of hyping it up. But at the same time, I've really enjoyed seeing more about like how the whole um, performance capture thing comes across in games. It's, um, I'm, I'm used to thinking of actors just sitting in a sound booth somewhere, recording lines off of a sheet and like having a director tell them, no, you're supposed to be doing this at the same time. And, when they're actually like acting out the parts and performing the motions and you know adding to the mocap, that's um, that's pretty cool to see. And like we don't get to see a whole lot of that behind the scenes uh, footage elsewhere. So we saw a good deal of that from Infamous Two and or sorry Second Son, and uh, I enjoyed that. But yeah, kind of a it was it was an okay panel. I don't feel like I walked away with a whole lot of valuable information. A lot of a uh, hype machine. Yeah. I just want to add, uh, speaking of mocap stuff, perhaps the best was at the Last of Us panel, um, which I'm sure this will end up online anyway if it's not already there by the other outlets, but uh, they showed a bonus scene uh, of how the game ends, which I won't say to spoil it for Spencer or any of our audience, but uh, there's a very tense moment where you make a decision as Joel and how that impacts Ellie. Uh, and as a joke, one of the, the leads on the team told the, uh, one of the actors who's playing a doctor in the game um, to basically perform it as a musical. And so we have this whole mocap scene. It's not in-game, of course. It's just them actually doing their, their acting motions. And she says her line in this serious moment, just sings it, belts it out, just this beautiful voice. And um, uh, Troy Baker just follows right along with it and there's about three four minutes of them doing their entire scene but as like a stage play version with the uh, the stage falls and the overwrought uh, uh, motions it was everybody got a laugh out of that and that was that was really cool to see so because you know like we're talking about this is a big trade show but it's uh, good to see the behind the scenes fun that they also have too excellent all right uh, so I think we're on to what we're looking to check out tomorrow. Yeah. And we, you know, we got a couple more minutes to wrap this up here. So, uh, I personally may stand in line for uh, the uh, for Transistor, which is the latest by Supergiant. That's their their new title coming out. Uh, I'm going to actually break out the recorder and talk to some people because hoping to put together a new episode of Memory Card based on the show. Um, so that all comes to mind. Nick, what are you looking to accomplish tomorrow? Well, I'm, uh, I've got a few panels on the, on the docket. Uh, there's a teaming up for indie game dev thing first thing in the morning uh, with people like James Silva from uh, Ska Studios, which made the dish, dishwasher, and um, 
just uh, talking about how they've gone from like how they put together the right team to assemble the games they wanted to make. Uh, there's a good number of other panels too. There's something about gender diversity in gaming. Uh, Keiji Inafune is doing something about his career going from 8-bit and beyond. Uh, interestingly enough, Aaron and I spotted him walking by the Capcom booth looking a little bit dismayed. So take of that what you will. Uh, and then Giant Bomb has its panel 8 p.m., which is I'm guaranteed to be at because I'm an unapologetic fan of what they do. Uh, beyond that, I'm hoping, hoping to play an Xbox One, get a feel for the controller. Uh, Forza 5 looks like something I need to play, so I'm going to follow that call. And uh, beyond that, uh, just hoping to uh, talk to some more people, get to just sort of see what's happening. And Aaron. Uh, I'm a little bit in the same boat, uh, maybe some more panels. The only thing I have on the docket so far is one called Everything We Know is Sexist at 10.30 tomorrow, which could be either a really good idea or a bad idea because there could be, I guess, two different ways you take a panel like that, but, you know. Um, as far as kind of the overall theme, though, tomorrow, it'd be more interesting to see a bit of the, uh, the exhibitions since today was a little bit of or mostly panels and us walking between stuff not knowing where we're going. So uh, I want to see also the Xbox One, feel the controller, because uh, we tried the PlayStation 4 controller today, which, you know, we can talk about separately. Uh, so I want to get a feel for that. I want to go to the Ubisoft booth and play a bunch of games I know I'll buy anyway. Um, uh, there's the Indie Mega booth, which I didn't see at all today. Yeah. I know that uh, Nick and uh, Spencer, did you talk uh, yeah, there's a couple things I want to check out there. So, uh, I mean, at very least, I would like to sit through and do the Stanley Parable demo because that's really, really funny. So, uh, anyway, go on. Yeah, I, I want to check out the indie games, see the lifeblood of the industry and their their disheveled form. Um, absolutely want and need to play X and Y uh, Pokemon, which is out October 12th. You're welcome, Nintendo. Um, <laughs> Link between worlds. A uh, Link Between Worlds, yes. There's a lot of great Nintendo content, and not to Babylon, but I played uh, uh, Donkey Kong Country Tropical Freeze, uh, Super Mario 3D Land. Uh, um, is it Super Mario? 3D World. 3D World. 3D World, yeah. yeah. 3D Land was the 3DS title. And I've kind of, I don't know, it's really all I've tried, but it was some of the most fun I've had today, just Nintendo games. So do that, and a little bit of Wind Waker, too. So just actually play some games tomorrow. Awesome. Maybe also some board games or something like that. If, you know, if street passes <laughs> and all these street passes, I didn't know there were like 15 street pass games before today. So it's, it's a full time job. I realized that. And I was lamenting the fact that I never get street passes. But now you have to clear out your queue of 10. It's a really short sighted move on Nintendo's part to, to do that. Whatever. You guys are all insufferable. All right, well, uh, that is uh, all from us after the uh, first day of PAX uh, from, well, each of us. Am I supposed to say my name? Yes. My, my, my name's Nick. I, uh, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm on this podcast tonight. And I'm Aaron. Uh, if you, for some reason, are at PAX and are listening to this, expect a business card tomorrow in a really creepily fashion. So. And I'm Spencer Tordoff. Expect absolutely nothing from me. And uh, we will send you another one of these tomorrow. <laughs>